Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I am the Youth Director here at SFBC. This week, Pastor Tim Voth continues in our series going through Advent, discovering the meaning of Christmas. Enjoy! Uh, We are going through a sermon series called The Grand Miracle, How the Incarnation Changes Everything. And it's been a a good process for me. I hope it has been a good process for you of, of... actually being able to steep in and reflect on and think about and meditate on the incarnation, the grand miracle, God becoming human, the Son of God, Jesus walking the earth, fully God, fully man in the one person of Jesus. I hope that that miracle has been helping you and shaping you as it has for me. And I hope this goes without saying, um, but pastors don't know everything you know, and they don't know everything automatically, and every single sermon is, I think, a journey of learning, and I've had a lot of avenues in my life, this sermon series, of helping me learn and helping me grow um, in conversations with, with a lot of you, in studying the Word, and Dr. Archie Spencer's class that he was teaching on the Trinity, it, it ended last week, but I've actually been simultaneously in a class with him uh, for my master's degree, studying the Church Fathers, and it's been another uh, really illuminating, helpful avenue in my life of, of learning about the Incarnation. And so I think it's really cool to see how the body of Christ works through his gifting, uh, helping me understand and grow and worship, and then hopefully I can, we've been able to pass stuff on to you as well. So yeah, we're going through this sermon series, The Grand Miracle, How the Incarnation Changes Everything, and we've been asking how it changes a few things. We've been thinking of some questions. One of the questions we talked about was, is God silent? Is he silent? And we answered, no, he's not silent because the incarnation says that he has spoken. He has spoken finally and definitively in his son Jesus and it changes everything because it changes how we listen to God. We listen to God by actively pursuing um, Jesus and hearing him through his word. And we asked the question, is God um, distant? And we said, no, he's not distant because the incarnation says he is intimately close. Why? Why? because he became a human, he became like us. And so he can, in every single moment, he can empathize, he can understand, and he can relate to our struggle down here on earth with all of our sufferings and all of our temptations. He knows our need of our weakness. He's no stranger, right? He gets it, and he's intimately close and near, yet without sin, but he's close. So no, he's not distant. We explored the idea of, is God inactive? Like, is he just okay, he might be speaking and he might be close, but is he acting here on this earth still? And we answered, yes, he's acting because he is acting through his body, through the body of Christ. He acted through his incarnation and now he's continuing to act as we live an incarnated life here on earth and he's acting through the body of Christ, his hands and feet here on earth. So God is speaking, God is present, and he is acting. And the incarnation has affirmed all of those things, I think. And I want to talk through another um, idea that I think the incarnation speaks to. And it has to do with something I'll bring up in a minute. My family, we've been um, watching Christmas movies. And uh, I don't know if you all have been watching Christmas movies, but um, Jenna and I decided this year to do um, older Christmas movies. So on our own, you know, we're kind of watching the the more old school traditional ones. Still with the kids, we'll watch kind of the fun, kind of newer ones. We'll watch Elf for the kids. Not for me, obviously. We'll watch Elf for the kids. No, it's totally for me. I love that movie. 
I don't know if Jenna does as much because afterwards we'll like quote it for like way too long and be way too obnoxious and uh, so not as much her, but, but we're watching more old school Christmas movies and there's one that um, maybe you've heard of or seen, It's a Wonderful Life. Has anyone who here has seen this Christmas movie? Yes. Okay, so I confess, I actually haven't yet. But I have Wikipedia'd uh, the synopsis, so I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know, it was on our list to watch, and time is short. Okay, so here, correct me if I'm wrong, is a brief synopsis in a nutshell of It's a Wonderful Life. Um, George Bailey, yes, got that right, okay. He is, um, he's the main guy, and he, he kind of runs an ordinary life. He lives an ordinary life. He kind of does, you know, the day-to-day stuff. He's got a family. I think he wishes that he, you know, had this extraordinary life with a big business and he could make big changes in the world, but he has this small business and he just kind of helps people out and lives this kind of ordinary humdrum existence in life. Um, And some things happen and he he has a bit of a struggle and a challenging life and it gets to the point where he thinks, what's the purpose of my life? All I do is add misery and chaos to the world and my life isn't even meaningful. And he believes that to the point of even going to a bridge and he's about to jump off when he's entered He's, he's stopped by a, by an angel. Yes, okay, you have seen it. You weren't lying. Um, he's stopped by an angel who says to him, like, look, your life is meaningful. And he takes him on this tour of his whole life and shows him how every moment of his life has had an impact on the people's lives around him and he just hasn't seen it. And by the end of the movie, he actually doesn't want to jump off the bridge. He wants to keep his life because he sees that it's a wonderful life and he's been used um, all throughout his life to make an impact. And if he wasn't here, if he wasn't on this planet, other people's lives would have been miserable and chaotic. And so he wants to keep living. And it ends with, it's a wonderful life. And it's a good wrap-up and there's a nice Christmas bow wrapped on top of the movie. Did I get it close? Was I right? I think good enough. Okay, good enough. Um, But I think out of that movie, I at least resonate with the question that he has, which is, Uh, Does my life matter? Does my life actually even matter? You know, we have this ordinary existence. You know, we're on this tiny little planet in the middle of nowhere. We're like a speck of dust. Uh, And then our our actions, like most of us are just kind of ordinary people doing our ordinary lives. We have our routines. We go about our life. And, you know, none of us are like kings or queens or anything like ultra powerful in this world. We're just kind of most of us living our humdrum day-to-day life, our ordinary life, and we kind of can start to wonder, does my life even matter? Like, is it valuable? And if I wasn't here, would it really change anything? And do my tiny little ordinary actions even affect any change in this world? And so we wonder this question, the same thing George Bailey wonders, and I don't know if you do, but I know I do. I wonder that question. Does my life actually matter? And I think that this is another question that we're going to see that the incarnation does speak to And what we will see is that, yes, our lives do matter. Um, And we look to Jesus' example of love in the incarnation. Jesus' love in the incarnation is our encouragement and our example. Jesus' love in the incarnation is our encouragement that your life matters. Your life actually does matter. Um, Human life matters. And it's our example because he shows us the way to live a life of greatness. The incarnation is our model for how to live a life of greatness, and it might not be exactly what we think greatness is. So the incarnation is our encouragement and our example. And so to, to kind of see this, I'd love for us to go to Philippians 2, if you have your Bibles. If not, I'll have it up on the screen. Um, 
I think Philippians 2 is a good place to go. It might be a passage you know, um, but basically it's, in a nutshell, the letter of Philippians is written by a guy named Paul who was one of Jesus' followers after Jesus came to earth, died, rose, ascended, People followed him, and Jesus sent them out to go into the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so Paul was one of these guys who went into the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus, planting little churches, and then he was writing letters to these churches to encourage them. And so that's what this book is. And if you go to Philippians 2, it says, it says this. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So that's verse one to two. And that's almost like Paul is saying, if these things are happening in you already, if there's encouragement, if, if in your relationship with Jesus, there's encouragement, if there's comfort from love, if you're having fellowship with his spirit and there's affection and sympathy and there's this, this beautiful life with Christ, if that's happening, Paul's like, okay, that's, that's amazing and I'm joyful for you, I'm thankful for you and that makes my joy like 75% full for you. You know, it's like, it's, that's exciting, that's amazing. And he's, but then he says, you know what would actually make my joy complete? Which is like, I would... What would actually make me overflow with joy for you as a community is if you actually just completed the circle and, and started living that outward to other people. If you started kind of taking that amazing relationship you have with Christ and you're experiencing that and just start living it out in the people's lives around you, that would be like, yes, full circle. That's kind of what, what Jesus came to do to transform you so that he can work in you and then through you. So Paul is like, that's what would complete my joy is if you lived in love to the people around you. And he says this is what it would look like. Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that is a tall order. That is really hard. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so that is, that's challenging. I don't know who here can just say, yep, I do that all the time, 100%, never any faults, that's me, I live my life for other people. Like that, that's hard, that's challenging. And I think we need encouragement and we need an example when we're when we're thinking of these things because that's so challenging to do and so Paul now points to the incarnation as our example and as our encouragement he says this so have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus kind of what he's saying is like think this way which is the same way that Jesus thought have this mind among yourselves. So think this way, all of you, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
And so you see this, you see this progression in the text of, of there's God who is the transcendent, always existing, all-powerful God, and there's this progression downwards. He's become a human. Okay, so now he's on earth. And as a human, he dies. He doesn't just die, he dies on a cross, which is like the worst, most humiliating kind of death that people can experience. And so there's this progression downwards. And I think Paul is saying, look, that's an example to us. That's an example to us of of high and lofty and mighty humbling ourselves for what? You know, we, we, look of, we, look, we think of the song we just sang, all for love's sake became poor. Like because he loves us, he emptied himself, he came. And if we look at Jesus' life, I mean, if, if you were to think of God coming to earth, you might think, okay, at least like become a king or at least become someone powerful and mighty. Like if you're gonna be on this planet, at least get all the privileges of being on this planet, you know, like live it up a little bit. But if we look at Jesus' life, he didn't do that. If you, if you look at it from the Gospels, you can see Jesus, when he came to earth, he humbled himself, he lowered himself, and then as a human, he also humbled himself and lowered himself. He became a baby. He didn't just show up as an adult. He became a helpless little baby. He was born in a small town, Bethlehem. He was placed in a feeding trough. He was visited by lowly shepherds. He was raised in a poor family. They couldn't afford some of the sacrifices. He was raised in a small kind of nowhere town, his father was a, a just average, ordinary tradesman, carpenter, and he himself was a carpenter for his life. And then you look at when he, he grew up and came into adulthood, who did he hang out with? Who did he befriend? The ordinary, lowly, powerless, and the outcasts. And so when I look at Jesus' life on earth, his incarnation, I get encouragement. It's an example of encouragement for me. Why? Because the ordinary average, kind of nowhere, nobody life matters. You don't have to be this great, amazing um, person with tons of status and privilege. You can just be an ordinary nobody and you matter because Jesus just became some ordinary nobody in the middle of nowhere. And that encourages me. You know, my my ordinary life, commuting to work, coming back, doing my routines, you know, kind of, that all matters. Jesus has forever, for eternity, said that material, human life, and the ordinary life are incredibly important to God. And so we look to the incarnation for our encouragement. But we also look to the incarnation as our example. So not only did Jesus come to just affirm, hey, human life is, matters, it's important, every human life matters and is important, uh, he also came to give an example that we could follow. Like I think of when I was, um, I think I was at a summer camp or something at a church when I was a little kid, and I remember it was, the camp was done and I was hanging out outside with some of my friends and I was waiting to be picked up by my mom, and there's this, this little trail of ants that were coming out of the ground. They had like made a little hole and they were walking along the concrete and I remember some of my friends were like squishing them and I was like, oh no, that's not good. I like ants and they're cool and they're meaningful and valuable and like don't squish these ants and I was trying to like stop them from getting squished um, and like putting my hands there to like redirect the ants back to their hole and it's like from the ants perspective that wouldn't help because it's like some huge wall is coming down it's this terrifying thing so they don't understand what I'm trying to do to protect them. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is a weird thought, but I'm like, if only I could become an ant 
and then I could like lead them and show them which way to go because they don't understand what I'm doing up here and they're getting squished. But maybe if I could just become an ant, then I could like speak to them in ant language and like show them, hey, go this way and like go back into your hole and like come out this way because there's grass over here and there's life over here, but you got to follow me. And they'd be able to understand that and go, oh, okay, we'll follow this guy. Or they'd reject me. But like they might, they might follow me and it'd be in a way that they could actually understand. And so that little ant analogy <laughs> is just to say that Jesus gave us an example to follow. You know, he, he said human life is valuable. Human life matters. Just kind of like I thought, you know, ant life matters. Human life matters, but it's infinitely more because it's not a creature becoming a creature. It's God, the creator, becoming a creature and saying, follow my example. And so now the, the example that we're supposed to follow is what? is having this mind among ourselves, though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus is God himself, right? Jesus, by becoming a human, didn't become less God, fully God, fully man, right? But he didn't count equality with God something to be taken advantage of might be a good translation. Where, you know, picture being, you know, in eternity, in heaven, untouched by creation. You could technically say, well, I'm just kind of going to stay in glory here. There's no need for me to go and help my creation out. I can just kind of stay here comfortably on my throne. In the very heart of God wasn't this desire to stay in and of himself. But he wanted to not count equality with God, something to be grasped or taken advantage of, but empty himself of that. Empty himself of that mindset. He says, um, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So the emptied, the emptied word there is tied to taking and being born. He emptied himself, not of his divine attributes, not of being God. He didn't empty himself of being God by coming to earth. He gave up that mindset of, I'm going to remain in my glory, closed off from creation. I don't care what's happening to my creatures. He gave that mentality up. He gave that mentality of potential pride up and he humbled himself and he said, no, I'm going to incarnate myself. Why? Because of love. Because I love my creatures. I love them deeply. And that's an example to us in our lives to not remain in our own um, status or entitlement or riches or privilege or any sort of categories we can think of where we feel high and lofty and mighty, but we look to the incarnation to think, how do I actually humble myself? I humble myself because if Christ, if God can do this, God himself can humble himself so much, surely I as a human can give up some of my status and privileges in order to love the people around me. And in his life, we see little humble acts, little humble acts of deeds, deeds of mercy. You know, he didn't do these, um, he did miracles, he did amazing things, but it was all with ordinary people, right? And so we see what I find encouragement from, which is a, a quote from Mother Teresa, which she says this. In this life, we cannot do great things, we can only do small things with great love. And I like that, because in, their, in our small, ordinary lives, we can actually do great things. Not great things by how the world measures greatness, but how Christ measures greatness. 
He humbled himself and loved the people around him. And we can do little deeds, small things with great love. You know, and I think of, I think of our church. You know, I think of us here gathered together and I'm always humbled and encouraged by, by many of you. I, I see acts of deeds, little deeds with great love in so many of you as I interact with you and hear stories from you. And there's one story that I want to share um, that I was, I asked if I could and they said, yes, I can share this, but I'll still keep it anonymous. Um, I was talking to someone and there was someone who needed a ride. They just needed a ride somewhere. A simple deed, they couldn't get around. And um, this, I hear the bells ringing. Wow, yes, I believe. Um, sorry, Polar Express reference. Okay, um, okay. On track. Um, yes, there was somebody who uh, was talking to me about they needed a ride somewhere. And so I asked the, someone, okay, I couldn't do it, but I called someone else. Hey, in our congregation, can you give this person a ride? And they're like, yeah, sure. So they kind of, you know, I'm sure they could have been doing other things with their time and with their energy and with their everything, but they're like, no, you know what? I can take time to, out of my life and out of my day, to give this person a ride somewhere. Well, that simple act of, of mercy, that small thing with great love, turned into a talk and a conversation with this person they were giving a ride somewhere. And that conversation grew into a friendship. And that friendship grew to this person sharing with them about Christ. And, and that led to them coming to, to know Christ and explore the faith. And it's like, wow, okay, these little deeds with great love, they can lead somewhere. They can do something. You don't have to be great. In, you don't have to be a, a, a massive-named evangelist. Like, you can just do little deeds with great love. And, and God uses that. And when I think of that, I think that like, there's this fear or there's this terror that comes from thinking nothing matters, nothing is meaningful, our lives don't matter. Like, that's a horrible thought. But a weightier thought to me, almost a more terrifying thought, is every single thing you do matters. Every single moment, every single thought, every emotion, every deed, every waking moment, every sleeping moment matters eternally. That's a heavy thought, but it's true. It's true, and the incarnation affirms that that's true. And maybe you're like me, where you look at, you know, people like Mother Teresa or other people in our midst, and you think, well, I'm not that. You know, I fall short of that all the time. And I think that's where it's important to remember that the incarnation, it's an encouragement to us because it says our lives matter. It's an example because we need to follow that and humble ourselves. It's also an encouragement, again, because when we fall short, what did Jesus come to do? He didn't come just as a moral teacher. He's not another moral teacher among many moral religious teachers. He's not just trying to tell us a way to go and then if you fail, well, sorry, I guess you're out. That's not what the incarnation says. It's an example to us, but it's an encouragement because Jesus himself, he lived a perfect life. He's the one, he's the only one who lived the sinless, perfect life that we can't live, that you can't live. We can't do this. We can't do this well. We can't do this all the time. We'll fall short. But there's this mystery in the incarnation and, and this beauty of, of union with Jesus' life, when we put our trust in him, there's a union there. You know, his life is mine and my life is his. And now his perfect life, it counts for me. I can claim it as my own. You know, his life overflows onto my life and now 
makes me right with the Father, makes me right with God, and now he works through my life with his perfect life. Yes, I'm still broken. Yes, I'm still imperfect. But he actually chooses to work through my life. And there's this great quote by um, Henry Nouwen in this book, In the Name of Jesus, where he says this, the mystery of ministry, which I think we all have a ministry in our own lives and the lives of people around us. The mystery of ministry is that we have been chosen to make our own limited and very conditional love the gateway for the unlimited and unconditional love of God. And so our small, broken, tiny deeds of love are now, by God's mercy and incarnation, the gateway through which he spreads his unconditional love to the people around us. So we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to earn anything. We can't pretend that we are. But we trust that Jesus, by his mercy, uses us, even though we're broken, even though we fall short. And so we do things in Jesus' name. And I wonder if we, if we believe that, you know? Like, it's pretty, how do I put it? Like, it's not, I don't think it's arrogant to say that my life matters, you know? I don't think it's arrogant to say everything I do matters and God can use it. I think it's actually arrogant to say my life doesn't matter. It's arrogant to do what George Bailey did, to say nothing matters, none of my deeds have mattered, my life doesn't affect anyone else's life. That's arrogant. Why is it arrogant? Because you're not God. You don't actually know. God sees. God sees every one of your deeds, everything done in secret, every single whispered prayer and every thought and every action to someone else. He sees all of that and he says it's meaningful. He says it has a net effect on the people around you. And so who are you to say my life doesn't count? That's arrogant. It's humble to say, my life counts, my life matters. I'm gonna live my life as if it matters and I'm gonna live my life doing what? Not pursuing greatness in the way that the world sees it, but by loving the people around me with little deeds, with great love. And so our love, it, it, has, it has power, it has an effect that I don't think we always see. Maybe we're blinded to, maybe we're not supposed to see all of the ways in which we affect the people around us. But a few kind of, Groups of people were on my heart when thinking of this message and when studying this passage. Um, the first is, um, you know, people in our congregation who are maybe shut-ins or can't get out or are, are in a hospital bed or, you know, in conversations with, with a lot of you in this situation, you know, I just want to encourage you that your life counts. You can get into this mindset of, well, I'm just, I'm stuck here, I can't, get out, I can't do these great things, I can't, I can't preach the gospel to a bunch of people, I'm just, I'm just stuck and does my life even matter? Maybe I even feel like I'm a burden on people, you know, people have to take care of me and, and maybe I feel like a burden and should I even be here? Does my life count? And I just wanna say yes, it does. Little deeds, even if you're bedridden, even if you can't get out, little deeds, little acts of obedience to God count and matter for eternity in ways that we could never understand or imagine. And I think of another group of people, which is parents. Maybe I think this because I'm a parent, but I think of, I think of parents, you know, in the ordinary, humdrum, daily life. Maybe the laundry pile is massive, you know, maybe just cooking meals over and over. And, and, you, and you wonder, does my life even have an effect on my kids? Like, you can't necessarily see the correlation between this action and this growth in my kid, and it's veiled, and it's like... Does my life matter as a parent? Am I doing anything good? Like, is it only bad? Like, is there ever any reward in this? Am I, am I doing anything good? Does my life count as a parent? And 
Again, I think the incarnation says, yes, it does, and your actions and deeds matter, and there is an effect that you can't see. And there's a poem that I want to read. I was going to ask my wife to do it, but she lost her voice, and so it's convenient timing for her. She might be faking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she, she actually did lose her voice. Um, but I'll, I'll read it and try to make it through. Um, it's, it's a poem by a woman named Felicia Masonheimer, and she has a podcast and a ministry called Every Woman a Theologian. And so my wife was listening to her and found her and um, really enjoyed her stuff and then passed her on to me and I've been listening to her and we listened through a, a podcast together um, on parenting. And in that podcast, she read this poem that she wrote and it just stuck with me. And it, I'll just set it up and then I'll read it. It's, it's about a, a father and a mother and just... Man, okay, I can make it through. It's the kids' program. I'm going to blame the kids' program. Um, a mother and a father, and their little deeds of faith and love, and their little acts of obedience, and how that does have an effect on the little kids always watching. And their love has power to break chains. And so let's, I'll just read it for you. It's called To Break a Chain. The rage builds red, Turning hot, the mirror holds the face of his father. Fists clenched, he closes his eyes and exchanges seething for strength. The blonde boy, the one always with him, sees the surrender and another link is broken. The day goes down, a thrashing wreck. The plan, neither peace nor perfection. Heart benched, she closes her eyes and exchanges screaming for strength. The dark-eyed girl, the one in the car seat, hears the help me. And another link is broken. The dawn comes early, casting beams across the pages, lying marked and messy. Undressed, she closes her eyes and exchanges insecurity for strength. The little ones, the ones always watching, feel the faith here, and another link is broken. This enslaving anger, guilt, and unfaithfulness, cynicism, criticism, condescension, contempt, link by link drop powerless as children choose faith and hope, love and peace, restraint and grace. And after days of this choosing become years of the same, the grandchildren no longer know the slavery of their forefathers because someone loved them enough to break a chain. So that's a poem that Felicia Masonheimer wrote. And I wonder if we as parents believe that. If we believe that our tiny deeds of faith and obedience and love are actually making a difference and can make a difference for generations and for eternity. Because they do, and the incarnation affirms that. That our lives matter. The incarnation encourages us that our lives matter. It gives us an example that the best way to live a great life is by humbling ourselves like Christ and loving the people around us. And so I'll leave us with some, some thoughts, some questions. If you are doing that, maybe you are in your own broken little way, living an ordinary life, Maybe you are doing deeds of love, and if you are, then keep 
going. Keep loving in faith. Keep trusting. Because God is using your life in ways you could never even ask or imagine. And you know what? We don't have an angel coming to us and showing us a movie of our whole life. We don't have that luxury, but we have something better than an angel showing it. We have the incarnation to affirm that. We have to believe it. Okay, have the audacity to believe that your life, your loving deeds in faith make an effect in this world and the people around you. And maybe you listen to this sermon and you're thinking, oh man, like I know that I'm being convicted. I don't humble myself to love the people around me. Just, just ask yourself this. Are you humbling yourself to love the people around you? Is that something you're doing? Or in your pride, are you just thinking about your own interests, your own needs, your own life, to the point of not even following Christ in, in his incarnation? Are you humbling yourself to love the people right around you, your immediate family, your spouse, your, your kids, your friends? Are you doing that? And finally, if you're doing that, are you also seeking out people to love? That's what Jesus did too, right? He actually sought out the lowly and broken. Like, are we doing that? Or are we kind of just, it's good to, loving the people around us. Are we seeking out people who might not have family, who might not have, you know, a home? Like, Christmas, it's a good time to be even thinking about that, right? It's heightened on our radar to be thinking, who, who are the lowly, who are the broken that I can actually seek out to love? And in all of these things, let's look to the incarnation for encouragement and an example. Okay, I'll, I'll close us off with one, some lyrics to a song um, that I've really appreciated by a woman named Audria Sad, and it's a reflection on this phrase by uh, Mother Teresa. So think of this as like a benediction. So I'll say this, and then I will close in prayer with a prayer from that devotional booklet that we are reading through. So here we go. In the garden of our Savior, no flower grows unseen. His kindness rains like water on every humble seed. No simple act of mercy escapes his watchful eye. For there is one who loves me. His hand is over mine. At the table of our Savior, no mouth will go unfed. His children in the shadows stream in and raise their heads. Oh, give us ears to hear them and give us eyes that see. For there is one who loves them. I am his hands and feet. Oh, the deeds forgotten, oh, the works unseen, every drink of water flowing graciously, every tender mercy you're making glorious. This you have asked us, do little things with great love, little things with great love. So let's pray together. Loving God, in the immense scope of the universe, I am one small, very ordinary human being, but I long to show you my love, I offer you the best gift I have, my obedient heart. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.